change. It's something we all crave. My new year, my chance to do something different. Change my life, change my job, change my attitude, change my world, our world, someone's life, someone's future, someone's whole reality. Quit this bad thing, start another thing, do more something else. But what else can I really do to have the true change only God, you can bring? I walk into the new year with an open ear to what God wants, where God will be, how I will grow, go, and show forth the praises of Him who called me out of the darkness and into His light. I want to obey what I can I want to choose to go straight, then I sleep. I find myself powerless to the progress of God's infinite goodness. Then I remember, I am a tree in the ground of grace. I am a branch grafted into the vine of the light. I am one of the people God found, not sounding like his strength, but grounded in the power of his might. I have two choices, to press my own way, to find my own truth, to think better thoughts, and to try harder for my own cause, or I can stop, stop, stop. I can be, I can know the great I am is for me, to feel this strong hand of mercy and the gravity that comes with understanding his thoughts are profoundly, undeniably, indestructible, unconvertible, uncompromisingly fitted for my destiny. I want real change, I'm all in. This year, I will be, I will be. As we approach the season of the holidays and the new year, what better way to start a new year than with a new series and a new series on change? Because this is the time of year, this is the season where we say, I'm going to change something. This is the season of what? New Year's what? Resolutions. And maybe you got one, maybe you don't, maybe you're thinking about one, maybe you're starting to think about one now. Uh, you're trying to plan to do something different with yourself. We know about resolutions. We hear them every year or we make them every year. Uh, they're, you know, the common ones are, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to eat better because I feel really bad about how I binge through the holidays. I'm going to spend less money because I feel really bad about how much money I spent for the holidays. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to quit smoking, start dancing. I don't know what you might think about doing this year, but this year we all, I mean, this time of year, this is it. This is when we say, I'm going to change something. And, and so I thought, you know, this is a good time. This is a good time to really talk about God's idea of change. Uh, if you have a Bible, smartphone, Android, iPad, tablet, let's go to our Bible app or our old-fashioned paper Bible to the Second Peter uh, book, Second Peter, um, first chapter. We're going to read from there first. Uh, go there, and then if you have time, put your finger at Romans 7 because we're going to get there as well. So Second Peter chapter 1, we're going to pick it up from verse 3 in just a moment. Here's, here's what I think about New Year's resolutions. I think that they're great, but I think that they fall far short of the change God desires to do in our hearts. And I believe that while a resolution is a wonderful idea, at the end of the day, I think we all need to make this confession. A resolution is really just a tweak. 
it's not real change. <laughs> it's not like something that's real deeply rooted in my heart that, that makes me a new person all around. It's just, it's just a tweak. I guess that's the only word I can give to you. It's an adjustment. And, and while I encourage you to do that, I want to challenge you today. On the first Sunday of the year, I want to challenge you to think bigger. To have a God-sized vision for God-sized change. To believe that God has a far bigger dream for you than just to get in shape. Getting in shape is good. I'm all for getting in shape. But how about getting in Christ shape, Christian shape? How about instead of a, a new habit, how about a, a, a new heart? How about instead of a better figure, a better attitude? How about instead of a new uh, habit or quitting smoking, how about quitting gossiping? How about quitting lying? How about quitting cheating? How about quitting lusting? How about, I mean, seriously, let's really aim for the change that God wants to do in all of our hearts. And, and if you're not sure what that looks like, I'll give you what it looks like in, in one name. This is the change God wants for all of you. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. God's aim is to make you more like Jesus. Now, you're going to be different, obviously. You're going to have your personality, and you're going to have your ways, and you're going to have your being, and that's what makes you you. You're unique, and you're special to God. But God wants to take the you that you are and conform that into the image of Jesus Christ in relation to your heart, your mind, and your attitude of life. And so in first, uh, Second Peter chapter 1, there's an amazing promise for all of us who want to see real change. I love it. This is God's goal for you. I want you to stand with me today as we read from this passage first. And like I said, we'll get to Romans chapter 7 in just a minute. Check out this promise. He says, His divine power. Everybody say those three words with me. His divine power. It's not our power. It's his power. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Here's how that reads in the NIV. I love it in the NIV here. It says, uh, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You've got it. It's not that you've got to go get it. It's that you already got it. His power has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. And then let's continue. Through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Verse 4. By which he granted, us to, granted to us great and precious promises so that through them you may become, and I love this phrase, that you may become partakers of the divine nature. How, doesn't that sound good? To become partakers of God's nature. This is his goal for you. And then it says this, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. I hope that you didn't miss what Peter just told us. Peter just told us, basically, God has given us everything we need to become like Jesus and to participate in his nature and his attitude. He has called us to his glory and excellence. That's God's goal. That is not a resolution. That is not a tweak. That is not adjustment. That is total, revolutionary, uncompromising, unchangeable, unstoppable life 
change in Jesus Christ. That's my goal in this series, to give you the roadmap for true change. I want real change. Dot com. We want to say a welcome to the Taunton campus watching by video. Everybody in North Attleboro, let's give them a welcome. Love you guys. Happy you are here. And you can have a seat. You can have a seat. Real change. Real change. Now look, I know first Sunday of the year, a lot of stuff on your mind. I'm not here to give you a list of things that you need to do. That's the good news. What I'm here to do in week one of this series is to deprogram you. I'm here to take away from, from, from your mind and from your heart all the things that are in there that you have set up into your mind and, li- and life and your mentality to think that that is what I need to bring real change into my life. This is deprogram week because before we build into you what the scriptures say come, uh, develops change, We first need to take out of you and take out of me all the things that we think brings real change. And that's what Peter is going to do here, but also Paul is going to do in Romans chapter 7 as you go there. Because here's the title of week number one for the IWantRealChange.com series. Here's the title. Are you ready? No, like three three ready people. All right. You ready? All right. I can't change. That's the title. That's how it starts. Real change. Week one is, I can't change. And this is a very powerful confession to make. Because I believe before we get anywhere, number one, I can't change until, number one, I confess that I can't change. And if I live with this illusion that I'm in charge of the change that God wants in my heart, I'll never make it. If I live like I think I'm in control, then I'll be frustrated with my life. I'll always be asking God why. I'll always be wondering when, you know, the things that I think need to happen are going to happen. And how many know that that rarely happens? Like God just kind of throws you a curveball. He just kind of gives you stuff you didn't expect. Gives you problems you didn't want at the wrong time gave you a friend or a a challenging relationship that you could have done without and you're like lord i you know my lord i don't know if you heard my plan for my life but this did not include you know you you have given me something that i need to work around and god's like no because you're not in charge of the change in your life i can't change all real change starts with that confession so I'm going to ask you to confess with me. I want everybody in this room to say it. I can't change. change. Say it loudly. I can't change. change. Turn to your neighbor and tell them I can't change. change. All right, spouses, every spouse, husbands and wives, turn to your spouse and tell them I love you, honey, but I can't change. Let the healing begin. I can't change. Your pastor can't change. You can't change. All change begins with understanding that fact. In Romans chapter 7, Paul the Apostle is going to say the very same thing. He's going to tell us, I'm Paul. I'm the Apostle of Christ. You know who I am. And i got to tell you something. 
left to my own devices, I cannot bring about the change that God wants to do in my life. Romans chapter 7, if there's a chapter in the Bible that I thank God exists, it's this one. We're going to look at some verses of scripture, and as we read, I, I know, because this has happened in both services so far, it's going to happen here. As we read, some of you are just going to be like, uh-huh, 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 yep, yep, that's me, check, check, check. Okay, so let's get into it here. Before we read it, though, I want to just give you the context of who's writing. Uh, just in case you're new to the church, new to Christianity, this is Paul the Apostle, all right? Radical Pharisee, radical Jew, when he came to Christ... He turned into a radical Christian, okay? He was radical beforehand, radical after, just radical for something different now. And this is the guy who started hundreds of churches in the New Testament. This is the guy that God raised up to take the gospel to the Gentiles. If you're not a Jew today and you're a Christian, you have Paul to thank for that, okay? He brought the gospel to all the nations that he could possibly do. Three missionary journeys across the known world of the time, started hundreds of churches, raised up thousands of leaders and elders and pastors, trained many of the godly men who, who, who passed on the traditions of our, our fathers of the faith. This guy was whipped for Christ five times. Anybody been whipped for Christ? He's got five times on you. You got a ways to go, all right? He was beaten with rods three times, stoned twice, shipwrecked once, left out in the open sea for 24 hours, went without food. He used to be rich. Many historians believe he was a very wealthy Pharisee. When he came to Christ, he lost all his money for Jesus, lost his home, lost his family. Many people believe that his wife divorced him when he came to Christ because he was so radical for Jesus. I mean, this guy, this guy is the... You know, the pinnacle of Christian. If you want to put a poster boy next to that name, other than Jesus, you know, it's Paul the Apostle. He's got it down. And, 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 and he wrote almost half of the New Testament. This guy is the pinnacle of Christian character, guts, and glory. And then he writes this word, these words in Romans 7 that just have to... Kind of like, make you feel good. Here we go. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. Amen, somebody. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That means that I, I know that's wrong, and I do it, and I don't want to do it, and I don't like it. It's good. That's right. It's, what I'm doing is wrong. I know that. Verse 17, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, I want you to count with me in verse 18 and beyond. How many times he uses the pronouns I, me, my, mine? Here's what he says. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to, know, to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Anybody resonating with this? For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I don't want to do is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law, or that could be better translated, a principle, or just a fact of life. I find it to be a fact of life that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, 
But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And if you continue on, he says, what a miserable person I am. Translation, I can't change. All change begins there. All change starts with the confession that I, in my own power, do not have the ability to affect long-lasting change in behavior, attitude, and thought. Until you make this confession, you're going to be frustrated. Because Paul says it for a reason. What is he doing? In Romans chapter 7, he's eliminating, he's deprogramming us. He's saying, look, there are some things that you think are going to bring change, and they never really do. Because you got the good you that wants to do what God says, and you got the nasty you that doesn't like God, that wants to constantly disobey God, that desires to do exactly the opposite of God. Paul says, it's my problem, and by the way, it's your problem. He says in another passage in Galatians 5.17, he says this, for the sinful nature, that's the bad you, desires what is contrary to the spirit, that's the good you. Uh, and he says in the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. And they are in conflict with each other. Somebody say conflict. So that you do not do what you want. This is our problem. Did you see what the scriptures just told us? The Bible, listen very closely. The Bible just told us that we are all bipolar. <laughs> we are all bipolar. I have just given you a diagnosis. According to the scripture, you don't need a doctor for this. It's true for everybody. There's just people who are more aware of it than others. Can I be, can I be candid with you? There is good Tim and there is bad Tim. Guess which Tim always makes it up onto this stage? Good Tim. You get the good Tim. That's why when you go to my wife and say, your husband's so wonderful, she's like, really? Are you sure? Tim? Because she gets bad, she gets good Tim, but she sees bad Tim too. And guess, guess what? I got news for you. I know who showed up at church today. Good you. Good you is here. Hello, good you. By the way, I'm glad the good you showed up, because bad you, I'd like to kick out the church. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> if bad Tim was preaching up here, he'd never come back. He'd be like, he, he can't get his act together. I got no hope. I'm out of here. Yeah, and, and this is a funny cultural phenomenon, because we've got this whole new cultural movement where we've got, a, we've got a, a platform for good us. You know what we call that platform? We call it Facebook. <laughs> Who goes on Facebook? Good us. Good you. I say it like this. There, there's the you, you, and then there's the Facebook you. <laughs> Facebook you rocks. F Facebook you is cool is hip, has clever quotes, has clever ideas, quotes scripture, talks about how great their husband is, how great their wife is, how wonderful their kids are, how great their life is, and real you is screaming their heads off at the kids while trying to throw a frying pan at her husband. Facebook you is a rock star. Real you is laying on the couch with potato chip grease coming off the chin. <laughs> let's just be honest. I mean, let's take off the church mask for once. And let's, let's concur 
with the Apostle Paul. As much as we want to change, there's this subversive little person inside. Always trying to take the reins and steer my life in a destructive direction. And how do I, how do I deal with this? Step one is this. I've got to confess that I can't change. And Paul's going to eliminate some things, and so let's look at what those are. Uh, A, B, and C. A, knowing what I should do doesn't help me to do what I should do. Amen? Knowing what the Bible says does not help me do it. In fact, you could almost say, and and Paul does say this in verse 7 of the same chapter, that as soon as you know what you shouldn't do, it's almost like, now I really want to do it. It's like the kid with the, with the hot pan. When you have children, you say, okay, don't touch hot pan. Don't touch the hot pan. Hot pan, hot. Hurt, hot pan hurt you. Hot pan equals ouch. Touch hot pan, say ouch. Got it? Got it. What does the kid do? He wants to touch the hot pan. Knowing what we should do doesn't help us do what we should do. Verse 14, he says, look, I know that the law is good. I know it's spiritual. I know it's true. And Paul is a Jew and a Pharisee at that. And so he knows, he uh, he doesn't just know what's in the Bible. Uh, Many, many historians believe that Pharisees had had the Old Testament, the entire thing, memorized. Memorized. You say, I don't believe that. Well, listen, this is a culture in which there were no Playstations. There was no Xbox. So, you know, you were a kid. I mean, the Bible was like the coolest thing. And you were in all the time, and, and you were raised from, from birth to, to memorize it, know it, believe it, recite it, whatever. And so he didn't just know the Bible. He had it memorized. He said, look, i got to be honest with you, even memorizing the Bible doesn't help. doesn't change. I still do what I don't want to do. Letter B, if you're taking notes, wanting to do what is right doesn't help me to do what is right. Wanting to do. I, I think that all of you are here at church on Sunday because you want to do what is right. And I commend you for that. But guess what? That doesn't help. Paul says this, I have the desire. I have the desire to do what is right. I just don't have the ability. And so you can want change all you want. You can want to obey all you want. Paul's trying to eliminate this from your category of of change agent in your life. And he's trying to say, this doesn't help either. Letter C, one more thing. Trying harder doesn't help me do what is right. Now, this one's a big struggle for many Christians. Because many Christians come to church, and you usually come to church, and you're all worn out from the week spiritually. You're kind of dried up. You're kind of dead. You're kind of like, well, pff, I need church today. Boy, I just messed it up this week. And you come, and you listen to me preach, or you listen to somebody preach, and say, all right, this is it. This is it. Done. I'm done with sin. I'm done with that attitude. I'm done with that behavior. My marriage is getting fixed up today. It's over. I'm budgeting. I'm tithing. I'm doing something. I'm changing something. It's done. Finished. Ready to go. Let's rock and roll. Closing prayer, Pastor. I can't wait to start. You walk out the door. You're good for like three days. Life happens. That's right. Life happens. Everything out the window. Mr. Nasty shows up again. And then you come back to church, and it's just like a cycle. Now, I like that because it keeps me gainfully employed. Amen. (laughs) 
but it doesn't help you change. It doesn't help you do what you know you shouldn't do. So I want to challenge you. It's not in trying harder. C.S. Lewis said it like this. I love this quote. He says, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. Well, if there was a truer statement, I don't know what it is. As soon as I try, I fail. And I try and I try and I try and it just doesn't work. So what have we done? Let's let's, kind of wrap up what we've learned so far on the first Sunday of the year. Number one, we've learned I can't change. Number two, I've learned that knowing what I should do doesn't help. Number three, uh, wanting to do what I should do doesn't help. Number four, trying harder to do what I should do doesn't help. Feel encouraged? Let's close in prayer. Amen. No, we're not done yet. Okay. Uh, Verse 14, want to bring it to your mind one more time. Here's what he says. This is the turning point. He alludes to the turning point, and we're going to get to it a little bit later in the chapter. He says this. The trouble is not with the law. The trouble is not with God's word. It is spiritual. It is good. The trouble is with, everybody say it, me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. This is from the New Living Translation, and I I love the New Living Translation here because it's just, it's so so much more hearable. It's just, he's saying, look, the trouble is me, I'm the problem, and my problem is I'm too human. Is that anybody else's problem here today? You're just too human. You're bipolar. Trouble's with me. Later on in verse 24, he says this, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Okay, Real change doesn't start until, number one, I confess that I can't change. And the number two confession or admittance is this. I need to admit that I am the problem. You'll never change until you make this confession. Because here's what we like to do. We like to blame everything and everyone else for what's got to change in our lives. And you got the list. Well, I just act that way because of, well, I'm just that way because, well, I was raised that way, cop out. Well, my family, cop out. Yeah, but my job has me really stressed, cop out. The problem is not with them. And Paul says this, and if Paul says it, you better believe, you better say it. And I'm saying it. The problem is with me. I'm the problem. I'm my own worst enemy. Let me tell you why this this confession is so important. It frees you from making excuses with everything else in your life. Okay, now it's not that you need a change of scenery. Because this is what we like to do here in New England. Oh, it's just these New England winters. They're just so horrible. I can't help it. I'm just depressed. It's the, it's the weather. I just can't help it. You know, it's terrible. It's dark. I mean, this is what I do all the time. It's just dark. I just want to, you know, what I need to do, I just need more sun. So what do we do? We move to Florida. We don't go halfway down. We go all the way down. We get to Florida, and we are hot. It's hot. It's always hot. I can't even, I can't even walk here without hearing my legs squeak together. I mean, it's, it is hot. Walk out the door and it's like, you know, just sweat, perspiration all over my body. 
Now I'm not complaining about it being cold. Now I'm just complaining it's hot. And, and, and all, the, all the addicts, there's an old adage, y'all know. Y'all know this one. Wherever you go, there you are. So it's not a change of scenery that's going to do it. It's not a change of job that's going to do it. Well, my job, you know, people, it's my job. It's just, you know, you don't understand, Pastor. No, I've I, I got to admit to you, I don't understand. But I also know the job's not the problem. How about this one? Your church is not the problem. Contrary to popular Christian, American Christian belief, you don't need a new church to fix you. <laughs> There's a lot of people who are hiding in Waters Church, hiding from other churches where you had problems, <laughs> and you're convinced, you're, you're convinced that, that this church is perfect for you. And I got, I got a guarantee, it's going to be perfect for about three months. And then you're going to find out that we're human. And we make mistakes. I make mistakes. I say things I shouldn't say. I do things. I treat people bad sometimes. Really. I mean, you're going to find, you're going to get into a small group thinking you're in heaven, and there's going to be somebody there that's just going to bug you to death. You say, wait a second, wait a second, I thought that this was going to help me. No, 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 my friend. You came to the perfect church for people who are not perfect. We're carnal. We're, why do you think we got all these lights? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> how, how about this one? A change in spouse is not what you need. You... you <laughs> You, you don't need a different spouse. They aren't the problem. I, I, will, I will give this to you. They are a problem. You know why? Because they're bipolar too. But they, you, you just, you know, you get out of that relationship and into a new one, I guarantee you, you'll have the same problems or a whole new set. And the only people that can confirm this is the ones that have been divorced two, three times. They know. And some people do this. Some people are doing this. Well, Pastor, you don't understand. They're not a believer. And if I can just get them to accept Jesus, then I believe that everything will be okay. Really? Are you sure? Because the statistics say that 50% of divorces happen in both Christian and non-Christian. So what are you going to do? It's not your spouse. It's not them. It's not your job. It's not your school. It's not your friends. It's not your church. It's not your pastor. It's not your small group. It's you. And change will never, ever happen until you confess this. I am the problem. Listen to me, parents. And I say this in love. Your children are not perfect. They're not. They're not I mean, we, we, we live in a culture in America here. I mean, we do this in America like crazy. We idolize those little people in our homes like they're some kind of son or daughter of God. They're not. They're pagans. <laughs> they are pagans to the core. 
My wife and I just had our third pagan. <laughs> we're so proud. Two pagans made a pagan. Now, by the grace of God, we're going to drive that pagan out of him. I mean, seriously. With, restra with restraint and as a last resort, we're going to drive it out of him. I promise you that. But can we just get real now? I mean, seriously? Um, parents, it's not always the other kid's problem. He's not always the problem. It's not little Johnny needs different friends. It's not the neighbor's kid that's got to just stop doing what he does. Your kid's the problem. Stop fighting their battles, parents. I, I come from a youth ministry background. I have a real strong passion for this. <laughs> Don't get me started with this. Don't fight your kids' battles. And I used to really preach this hard, and then I had kids. And now I have a little kid, and, 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 and we see, you know, the conflict happening with other kids. And, oh, man, the temptation is there, really strong. I, I want to step in. I want to step in. I want to step in. And I'm like, that's just not my job. My kid needs to learn how to get punched in the mouth. He does. My kid needs to learn how to deal with some kid who's unfair to him. Do you know why? That's life. If I set him up for this idea that I'm always going to fight his battles, talk about not being adjusted. He's going to get to college. He's going to be like, Mom, Dad, <laughs> help, send money. <laughs> and I'm going to say, earn money. No, seriously. Your kids are not perfect, and you need to get them off that little pedestal of idolatry in your home because you did not have an immaculate conception. You did not give birth to the second-born son of God. You had a potential pagan, and you need to discipline them, stop fighting their battles, and understand that they got problems too, just like you. And then Christian discipleship has a chance, okay? Because until... Or as long as we are in denial that we are the problem, we deny the Lord Jesus the opportunity to fix the problem. Now, Paul says this line, what a miserable person I am, right? What's the next word? If you got your Bibles open, what's the next word after what a miserable person I am? The one word there. It's a three-letter word. begins with W. Who? Commentators and theologians believe that the entire book of Romans, all 16 chapters, the entire book hinges on that one three-letter word. In chapter 7, verse 24. Because all up to chapter 7, Paul is building a case for the law and God's righteousness and our unrighteousness. In chapter 7, he makes it personal. Here's how I deal with this, and I'm not doing well with it. But at the end of chapter 7, everything turns on that one little word, who? Because he doesn't say, what will save me from the body of death? Because he knows that it's not a change of scenery, it's not a change of job, it's not a change of spouse, it's not a change of program, it's not a change of religion. He says, who? The answer to your change is not in a what, it's in a who. And we all know who the who is. The who is Jesus. 
And he says it like this, and it can't be more clear. Who will save me from this body of death? That's the confession. I'm the problem. I can't change. I am the problem. And number three, the third confession you need to make to start real change in your life is this. I need to realize that I need someone to save me. The answer to my life is not in a what or a where or in a when. The answer is in a who. And the who is Jesus. Also notice that Paul doesn't say, who will help me? deal with my bad habits because jesus didn't come to help you he came to deliver you he came to save you we all know these these fairy tales the princess is up in the castle she's she's locked up in the castle the the dragon is guarding her keeping her captive and and what's she doing is she slaying the dragon no what's she doing she's singing and waiting What's she singing? Someday my prince will come. That's what she's doing. She's got no chance at that dragon. She needs somebody to come in and slay the dragon and save her from the palace. That's what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago at the cross. The dragon was Satan. The, the sword was the cross. He bore our sin on the cross. He tore the veil in the temple from top to bottom. He made access from us to God and God to us. Jesus slayed the dragon called Satan. And now we are set free, not out of our own good works or our own good nature or our own good thoughts, but because of Jesus. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Not religion, not going to church, not waters, not me, Jesus. Don't talk about how good I am. Talk about how good Jesus is. He's the answer. He's the one who saves you. He's the one who continues the work in you. And he's the one who's going to complete you. This is why I believe, please hear me, please hear me. Jesus wants to save Christians. And that sounds strange. Because we, we Christians tend to think, well, Jesus wants to save unbelievers. No, he wants to save you. He wants to save you from your body of death. Because you can't change. You can't fix yourself up. You are the problem. And there's an answer to the problem, and his name is Jesus. Let me give you some scriptures to back this up. Philippians 1.6, we know this one. Many of you know this one. He says, look, I'm confident of this. I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Who began the work? Jesus. Who's going to finish the work? Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He started it. He's going to finish it. Psalm 138, verse 8 says, the Lord will work out his plans for my life. I love that. The Lord will work this out. The Lord made this happen. And the Lord is going to finish it. So what you really need to do is resign. You need to resign. You need to say, I'm just not in control. Am I? No, you're not. Because you don't know what tomorrow holds, but you know who holds tomorrow. 
You don't know what's going to happen in your life. You don't know what unexpected frustration is going to come into your life at the end of the service. But Jesus is there, and he's never surprised. You know that nothing in the history of, of the universe has ever occurred to God? And what, I, what I mean by that is God never says, you know, it just occurred to me. <laughs> he knows the end from the beginning. He knew that person was going to die. He knew that person was going to disown you. He knew that divorce was going to happen. He knew the stock market was going to crash. He knew the earthquake was coming. He knew it. And he committed to you way back whenever you became a Christian. He committed to you to start something. And he's committed, I thank God, he's committed to finishing it. He never leaves a project half done. Thank you, Jesus. And I love this verse in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. May the God of peace make you holy in every way. Who's going to make us holy? Yeah, the God of peace, Jesus, not you, not me. And so he says, and make your whole spirit and soul and body blameless until the day of our Lord Jesus. And then and in verse 24, just in case you're unsure, God will make this happen. For he who called you is faithful. Now, when Paul finally comes to the third confession, I need someone to save me. And he says, who will save me from this body of death? The very next phrase, verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because he knows that he needs someone, and he also knows that he has someone, and that someone is Jesus. And as long as you look to Jesus, as long as you focus on Jesus, the change will come. Now, we'll get to what we got to do with that starting next week. But this week is just deprogramming. Stop trying harder. Stop trying to think better thoughts. Stop thinking that all you really need is different friends or a different spouse or a different life or a different atmosphere or a different scenery. What you need is Jesus. And he's coming to save you. But you need to do exactly what you did in the beginning. You need to surrender. You need to surrender. And I'm going to ask you to do that at the end of the service. I want you to stand with me.